0: Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to Episode 17 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. You know, I'm honored to introduce our podcast guests, Pakchuk Rinpoche and Eric Solomon, who bring us the gift of their combined wisdom, compassion, and teaching excellence in a podcast episode that I know will become one of my all-time favorites. Rinpoche and Eric are the authors of the just-released book, Radically Happy, A User's Guide to the Mind, Thank you to Shambhala Publications and Jess Townsend for reaching out with a reviewer's copy of the book and request to schedule a podcast. It was my good fortune to have the opportunity to discover this jewel of a book and have the pleasure of chatting with the warm and engaging authors. Patrick Rinpoche is a teacher coming from a long line of meditation masters. His grandfather, Tukul Urjin, who actually I just mentioned on a, the previous episode about the different types of meditation. Anyway, his grandfather, Tukul Urgen was a meditation master in the Tibetan Kagyu and Nyingma lineages. He was renowned for his pointing out instructions of the mind. Tukul Urjan's great-grandfather, Chokyur Lingpa, became a 19th-century Tibetan legend for revealing great wisdom teachings. Rinpoche received ordination from His Holiness the Dalai Lama and was educated in Buddhist philosophy and meditation, studying with some of the most accomplished masters of modern times. He completed his education in advanced Buddhist studies in India, receiving the Kempo title. He currently travels across the globe teaching at Buddhist centers, universities, and monasteries. As you will see in our conversation, Rinpoche lives much like us, with a wife and children, and is familiar with the troubles of everyday life. And, surviving the great Nepalese earthquake of 2015, he has had more hardship and suffering than most. Yet, he teaches, combining a profound wisdom with a fresh and humorous observation relevant to our fast-paced, always-on, modern lives. Eric Solomon brings a career as a Silicon Valley technology entrepreneur to a serious study and practice in Tibetan meditation. He offers the thinking of a technologist combined with the depth of a seasoned meditation practitioner, resulting in a crystal clear teaching presentation that speaks to us in an everyday way. Eric is currently an invited speaker and teacher, leading seminars and retreats in corporations, prisons, temples, and Buddhist centers across the U.S. and Europe. Thanks to the generosity of Rinpoche's and Eric's time and teaching, the conversation you are about to listen to is filled with more diamonds of wisdom and insight than I can count. So on to the interview. I'm so pleased to have you on our show today. Uh, it's awesome. Your book, first of all, I have to talk about the book. I have to talk about the beauty of the book. And since we have a little video here, I can just pretend that everybody sees me, but they won't. But this is beautiful. I. I it's just the most awesome book. Um, you're engaged from the very beginning, just from the design aspect. So, uh, clearly you spent a lot of time, many, many years designing it, thinking about it, and I heard a little bit about that on your Facebook Live presentation, Uh, but, it, it it really shows and it really engages and I I don't care whether somebody's a Buddhist or not if they see that title and then pick up that book I think they'll be hooked for, for sure um, uh, I've been around the block with Buddhism for like 30 some years but this book really engaged me and and I was so I was almost surprised I, I how engaging it was it, it was the 28 exercises. It was just it was just amazing. But so it's perfect for my audience. I'm going to explain a little bit about it so you know who you're talking to. Um, you know, when they when you start a podcast, they tell you to create an avatar and say, this is the person who I think is going to be listening to this podcast. Now I'm a career coach. And, and a lay minister within a non-sectarian Buddhist program that's based on the uh, Mahayana, Japanese Buddhism, primarily Shin and Zen, Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism. So we, we come from the lineage of a Jodo Shinsu lineage, and, but the, the Bright Dawn Center created a Buddhist practice and a Buddhist perspective of being about every day. OK, not not focusing on, you know, traditional practices within schools and having to be so focused on it. But take what works. Right. Take what works. Which really isn't what the Buddha wanted us to do. Right. Take what works. So our my avatar for this podcast was somebody who maybe didn't care about Buddhism, maybe want anything to do about Buddhism, but wanted every day to be better. However that can be. And most of the people that uh, I've gathered a pretty big following so far and I started the end of July, but boy, the comments I get are stuff that I think you have talked to in this book consistently. It's how do I get over harboring anger? How do I get over harboring resentment? How do I um, uh, have skillful behavior or mindfulness in the workplace? How do, how do I deal with the, pe- the suffering with the people in my life? How do I create meaning in the workplace? How do I build good intentions? How do I live my life uh, with, with, a, with a good attitude? Uh, how do I deal with depression and hate in the world? And, uh, and another biggie is, I kind of like Buddhism, but I don't believe in all the metaphysical aspects. So I can't be a Buddhist. So that's sort of the, that's my audience. And I think you address it perfectly in the book. But before I give it over to you with a couple questions, is I saw on your Facebook Live that you told a story, I think Rinpoche told the story, uh, was, it may have been a two-parter, about how you came up with radical and how you came up, how you debated about using the word happiness. Can you tell me that story?
1: So the idea was uh, when, uh, when we talk about these uh, happiness and uh, radical, I found out that have two kind of a group of people usually think about, I am already quite happy. So why I need for uh, books that makes me happy again. So for that kind of group, I prefer to say that, yes, I agree with you, but at the same time they have some radical way of doing things that usually we are not heard before possible. So that's why it's a word of radical that I like to say. And the second group is good to be, I'm very unhappy. I don't think I can be happy at all. And for that kind of group, then I'm prefer to say, yeah, it's possible that I think you should try to see that some steps and see how you can actually get a better and the funny part of the word of radical in happiness that is engaging a lot of people are quite uh, uh, happy with, to see that and uh, some people especially long-term practitioners are not so happy to hear the word of happiness so i found out that uh, uh, you know Everybody search for happiness, whether you are long-term or short-term <laughs> or beginner or non beginner or believer or non-believer. Actually, at end of the day, sincerely, you know, from bottom from our heart, actually what we urge for is actually just you know, well-being. You can actually explain happiness. You can actually say you know, peace, calm, satisfaction. You can use different words, but basically what really have universal... Uh, word for everybody is actually happiness that we use all the time. So I thought that using the word of happiness is not really a bad idea. Then <laughs> point of view, and uh, we say short-term benefits and long-term um, liberation or uh, freedom. So short-term benefits can be the happiness. So this is the idea of uh, the word that I begin sometimes in the talk lately, I actually begin with that because I met a lot of older practitioners that they are not so happy to hear or a word of happiness.
2: I think the thing for is that we really looked at how fast the world is moving these days and how so many people who are coming to our seminars programs were looking for a new narrative for their lives, but where uh, Buddhism traditionally starts, you know, Four Noble Truths, wasn't really meeting people at, at the exact place that they were. Of course, the message does. But what if we play with the language? What if we um, uh, keep the, the ultimate message the same? But really, how can we meet people exactly where they are? Everybody's trying to cope with this crazy, always-on, wired world. With this constant interruption. I mean, the social media is great. It allows us to communicate like never before. At the same time, it's constantly begging us to come do something. And and um, and they've also done a lot of research to figure out how to um manipulate us, how to you know get us kind of hooked, as you can say. (laughs) So so we just saw so much stress um among family, friends, students, so forth, and and everybody as Rinpoche was saying, is, has a happiness strategy. Everybody cares about um, achieving certain goals for themselves. The problem is we get kind of emotional about whether we achieve the result or not. And so how do you find the resilience so that when things don't go well, you're still okay? At the same time, how, when things do go well, can you really truly enjoy them? Because far too often, when in that perfect day, we're thinking, oh, too bad every day. <laughs> it's a subtle undercurrent of dissatisfaction that comes. So uh, so we pick the radically happy because radical in Latin means root. We feel that the root of happiness is somehow slipped through our fingers because we don't know where to place our attention. Or even if we do, we don't know how to do it. And then the other reason we say radical is because probably this, way we go for happiness right now is a habit that perhaps doesn't always work so how could what to change that habit maybe we have to do something a little bit radical. so there's coming together of two different perspectives i came from a modern silicon valley entrepreneurial culture i came from an ancient culture of compassion and wisdom that goes back for centuries and yet we come met in a very similar place and that was that was out of that was the birth of this book
0: that that impressed me so much? Because to be, I'll tell you the the, the a little truth about it. When I first saw the book introduction from your uh, publicity person, and it was radical happiness. You know, yes. I thought I had a little judgment uh, going on in there, and I immediately said. What's this radical happiness business. I mean it, it's happiness, right? or it's not happiness, but radical happiness. but you're you're I totally get it. you know it's it's the root of happiness. It's sort of like the heart Sutra, right? the heart. Of the me, this is the heart of how to be happy and what the other thing I love about it and I think what speaks to my audience or speaks to my mission whether my listeners want to hear it or not um, my mission is mindfulness is awesome then and, and and helping people to develop a habit of mindfulness in this crazy world that you were talking about always on everyday world is is one of the best things we can do but then again the concept and the mindfulness—you know—I'm sure you've heard the term mindfulness." It's taken on a sort of a tone that they think it's like it's all about mindfulness. But to me, the beauty of Buddhism is is what you're bringing out in this book. So when you say um, a user's guide to the mind, sure, it's a user's guide to the mind. It be a, a user's guide to to life because you're three. And now, this is kind of a kickoff to your introducing the the format of the book. Um, How you broke it down into mastering your mind, but also mastering your heart or interconnected happiness and cultivating dignity, which that was a word I had never heard thrown in something like this that really made me stop and think. But that's to me, takes this mindfulness concept and and puts the buddhist meat behind it the buddhist teachings behind it because we're talking about the heart the heart has to be in it and so that's what i love so this is an introduction to say tell me about the the three segments you know mastering the mind mastering the heart this those of you who don't have the book it's got three uh it's divided into easy three segments and an introduction and it's like, okay, here's how to master your mind, here's how to master your heart, and here's how to master your dignity, and it has three basic steps under each one, and so it's really logical, and it flows, I think, to the uh, Western mind, okay, well, now I'll do this, now I'll do that, the third, the 28 exercise may overwhelm them, but I think they'll figure out how to lift them in. so tell me about how that is and just explain it a little more to to our audience.
2: Well, thank you for the question, Wendy. Um, First of all, I want to say that uh, we did look a lot at a bunch of different programs that were out there because we want to see really, you know, did we have something unique to say? And I I, I think both of us felt that if everyone in the world did mindfulness-based stress reduction, for example, the world would definitely be a better place at the same time. If you're already putting this effort in to do a little bit of, you know, mindfulness practice every day, if you could understand a little bit beyond just circumstance, then the same effort could be actually make a much more profound uh, transformation in your life. So the the thing is that right now we're constantly uh, evaluating. Um, I studied with Rinpoche's grandfather who uh, was this, one of the most amazing human beings, if not the most amazing human being. And he said, the very basis of our discontentment is the constant evaluation of our quality of our experience. We're always like this little ticker tape at the bottom of our screen. It's always saying, well, I like that. I don't like that. And then we start thinking about it. And this actually brings us sometimes to great anxiety, or great, you know, but really t- turns us away from who we really are. So." with when you're meditating to lower your stress, to feel better, all these are worthy goals and it will work, but you're still in this land of evaluating experience. So how can you drop that? How can you interrupt that? And what's the benefit of that? And that's something we go into quite a bit in the book. So we have, as you said, three steps, to happiness, mastering the mind, interconnected happiness, mastering the heart. Now interconnected happiness traditionally you don't just teach meditation, for example. We don't use the word meditation as much. We call it exercise. It's just like you exercise your body. You can exercise your mind. So normally, we would, we would talk to people about how you are in the world, how you relate to others, uncovering our natural warm-heartedness as part of the richness of human experience along with, as part of, what's traditionally called meditation. And that's another thing that's often missing in many of the uh secular programs so this is this is this was really important to us to talk about is how we're interconnected with each other and the world and and how that also help us to find meaning and purpose in life and then finally radical happiness where we bring these two together and yet by tasting and we from the very beginning of this book you're going to taste something you're going to experience something almost in the first pages and gradually you have confidence in that. You'll know that experience for yourself. And it won't matter if someone else comes and says it's all you know, BS. You'll know. I, I tasted it. And out of that confidence, out of that knowing of how your mind functions and how sometimes you can actually own your own mind, how your heart functions and how you can own your own heart, out of that confidence is the beginning of dignity. And that's the key to radical happiness. It's not that radically happy people don't experience sadness, loss, anger, the full uh, you know, display of human experience. It's that it's about resilience. It's about always finding a way to be well or okay, even in the midst of tragic circumstances. So that's the, the, the basic idea. And I, one last thing is, yes, there are 28 exercises, but <laughs> each one is easy to do on its own. So that you can try it. It's not too much. It'll fit into a busy life. And they slowly build on each one. And if you, you don't have to do them all, you can find a few that really work for you. And that will work too. I
1: think the purpose of the book that I want to see is only very simple. I just want to, uh, I wish that anybody do some exercise from the book and they realize that they actually do not control. Or they don't have no, um, how you, I don't want to use the word control, but they have no much power on their own mind or emotions as what we actually, we all believe. So that, that doubt, I want to rise from the, that book. And when you have that doubt, I think it is beginning of becoming wise person. And um the so second thing that I want to say from the book is the person is that uh, knowing that taking wanting to be happy for yourself and your loved one, for your family for others, the way we choose to become happy, to approach those, to achieve the happiness, actually most of the time we do not good um uh, decisions. we don't go in the right directions. we don't use good methods and to achieve that happiness. I think these two doubt I introduced from the book, for anybody who listen and who go through the book, I want to see that doubt come up. Then I think that doubt is actually going to be the doubt that can be the dawn of a wisdom within your heart. And that doubt going to be the dawn of the wisdom. That is what I wish for.
0: You know, the doubt thing, I love that, you're introducing the doubt, because how many times do we run across, and, you know, meditation by itself, or a mindfulness practice by itself, people sometimes take it up, and they can be long-term practitioners, and then they'll say, I've done this for 10 years, and I don't think my life has changed at all, I don't feel any happier. I, you know, and uh Rinpoche, I think you addressed this on that uh, Facebook Live, saying this. The I, I forget exactly how you, I th- how you used the word. I think you said what was missing is reflection. I think you said, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but the reflection part is that doubt. The introduction of the doubt. Um, meaning, bringing your experience back and looking at it, and saying, "How am I using it?" And I really think the key is the interconnected happiness of the interconnected happiness, because meditation and mindfulness practice, unless you're doing um, um, meta or tonglen or something, is 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 so individual, you know, and it's what about me? What am I getting from this? I'm not enlightened, <laughs> right? So, um, so yeah, I love, I love the doubt thing. I, 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 think that's excellent. Would you like to address um, what they, what a reader can take from each section, you know, as far as an individual or any way you want to address each section?
1: Mm, I think uh, what I like to say the first thing is that. It's very interesting, like, when I say, oh, do you know, I ask anybody to do meditation, they say yes, and they say, what kind of method do you do? And They say, I do this, I do, you know, focus my breath, and this and that, all that. And I said, okay, uh, now we uh, would be important to reflect ourselves, and I used to say this now, that meditation is blind, but when you do reflection, then meditation becomes the antidote. Until that, meditation is not cured cannot transform you completely, because meditation is blind. When I say this, at the beginning, people say, what, what are you talking about? I said now you need to learn to reflect yourself. How is, how is your being? Uh, and how is you behaving? Are you behaving correctly? And did you check your manners? Did you check how you look and emotional levels? All that. And then start looking back, and say, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, okay. I need to, I need to reflect myself. Okay, all right. So, is it is it quite strange to see that? Honestly, one of the the biggest uh, situation that I see is not taking into your mind or reflecting to see what how to take it in. Mm-hmm. That's why when you read the book, I met a person saying, that, "Oh, Rumbach, I love your book and very good." And I say. How long you took to read? I said, oh, within the two days, I think. <laughs> and I said that we need to work this book for four years, and you finish in two days. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I said, now I tell. Yesterday I met some people. I say, I said, they said to me, Rumpoche, uh, how I'm to, uh, What kind of things I'm going to get from the book? I said, yeah, whatever you want to get doesn't matter, but please read slowly. Read slowly and few pages, four to five pages, and you reflect a little bit and think about Try to sip in, because mind and emotional, it takes time to sip in. That's why the wisdom grows the pace of experience. The knowledge grows when you know things, when you understand things. But know and understand does not make you experience and become a wise or gain wisdom. That takes time to sleep in. So please read slowly a few pages and reflect yourself and go to do the thing, normal thing in life and reflect again and do some little exercise you can and just reflect. Then I said, I guarantee you, you're going to get something from that book. But you read like within a two days, like a coffee shop and put the commuting time or before go to bed. Honestly, how much are you going to seep into it? I'm not sure about it.
2: So so the book has, as you said, three sections. First is basic happiness. Now, basic happiness is is actually where we learn to just find the home of our mind, of ourselves. You know, when we looked at our own teachers, yes, they always talked about meditation. They also talked about death and uh, life is suffering, all these classic Buddhist. But they themselves, even though many of them suffered a lot in their lives and came, overcame incredible, tremendous challenges, they themselves were always happy. They themselves were always well. So how do we find that home? Rubik's tells a story that's a classic example that he received from his teacher when he, was, when he was young. Don't be like a dog, be like a lion. When you throw a stone at a dog, the dog will chase the stone. And isn't that how we are with thoughts and emotions? Every thought that comes, we have a special reaction, and we have to chase it, think about it, and so on and so forth. A lion, however, you throw a stone in a lion, the lion doesn't care at all about the stone. The lion turns to see where the stone came from. And if you're the stone thrower, either you run away or you get eaten. But either way, there are no more stones. So just learning to turn our attention away from always chasing thoughts and emotions. And in the beginning, just by being present in the face of whatever thoughts and emotions come, we begin to be, it's the first step to becoming like a lion. This develops, this metaphor develops over the course of the entire book. So in the beginning, we learn to not react to thoughts. We call it always react to thoughts the same way, that we just come into the present moment. We learn, we learn to relax comparing. This is basic happiness. We learn to relax comparing. We're always this habit of thinking about thoughts becomes quite big and often self-denigrating. We're comparing our life to what our life should be, and, and then we feel bad about it. Of course, it's good to have goals, but, it, but because of this comparison habit, it, doesn't, it, it has an emotional content that's not always so beneficial. I used to think I had to do everything out of insecurity and in be successful. This was the theme of my whole Silicon Valley experience is putting myself in some place where I felt insecure and then I could do great things. And I learned over time that actually I did do even better things when I didn't get so emotional. So this is, so this is, this is what we mean by relax the comparing. It's not eliminate all comparing, but just relax. And finally, be present. Because in this crazy, always-on world, we aren't going to um, be able to spend all our time in our room practicing. Our mind. We, but we can use all of experience as a reminder to come back into the present moment. So we give you step-by-step way to do that. And then we have at the end of each section a daily plan, which part of it is exercising through different uh, practices we give, but then also reflecting to see how it's working. Because if you don't if you don't reflect, if you don't think of the logic, the why, and if you know, and how you're doing it relative to the why, it's much harder to make a lot of progress. So that's basic happiness. Interconnected happiness is where we contemplate the interconnected nature of reality. The fact that what you do affects me, what I do affects you, what we all do affects the planet. What happens in our environment affects us. It's common sense, and yet we see that there's this huge disease sweeping across cities all over modern cities, Asia, US, wherever, where people are feeling lonely like never before. Because we're always cutting ourselves off from this fundamental expression of reality is interconnected. So first we need to understand it, and then we need to, to begin to look and see, are we living in harmony with it? You know, you see all these experiments now. One, one that I'll just tell quickly is uh, people um, were asked to evaluate in this one study bills that might come up before Congress, and people were all over the map and they gave all kinds of interesting responses until you told them whether it was Democrat.
0: And then immediately,
2: based on whether they were Democrat or Republican, they loved it or hated it. Right. Making our own decisions, but actually, we're just continually a product of all our habits and our culture and the way we were raised. And so, by contemplating interconnectedness and seeing, becoming more and more aware of how we're responding to the world, we can begin to um, see ourselves, the world around us, more uh, authentically. And be free from all our conditioning, which brings us to relax the judging. Where 100 milliseconds after I meet you, I've uh, made a whole bunch of I ide- have a whole bunch of ideas about you, and they're very very hard to change, even when they're wrong.
0: Okay.
2: in Silicon Valley, I would see the best technologists. When th- when new data came in, it didn't matter what they thought before; they could just let it go and adopt a new position. And, and yet science is telling us we're very, very, it's very, very difficult for most of us to do that. So by bringing, by constantly uncovering something we already possess, which is our natural warm heart, that already is there, it's just covered over. So by again and again, through exercises, uncovering that warm heart, we can begin to relax the judgment. And be attentive, we bring, this warm heart into every situation, every interaction, and that strengthens it, deepens it further. And
0: what happens?
2: Well, we find meaning and purpose in life.
0: Right, right. And know those exercises. I was, I really are very good. The mini exercises. I think. Well, if the one really caught my eye, um, what was the? Oh, the warm-hearted mini break. The I I love the warm hearted mini break. I'm starting to adopt that daily since reading your book because I I was doing warm um not warm hearted I was doing mini breaks, but the introduction of the warm hearted mini breaks softened my responses to everyone and softened my judgment. Um, So I just had to say I love those exercises. So so continue on on your journey. I think the.
1: External world and the internal world is a little bit different dynamic. External world, I'm talking about careers, life, insurance, house, um, security, and um, things in life. We need to have some kind of uh, comparison or some kind of uh, judgments or some kind of clinging. Without that, we're not going to be approached towards that and to succeed to achieve it. When you use that similar pattern or habit or the tools within the internally, then you actually create your own um, beginning of your failure. Now you use uh, uh, internally, such as um, uh, judgment, internally comparison, and internally attachment, actually that produce failure in spirituality, or meditatively, or emotionally, or love, or life, happiness, in everything. So now the idea is how you're going to manage that? How are we going to use enough for a um, comparison, healthy comparison, healthy judgment, and a healthy clinging for external world, for living, and not using that same tool in, internally, within to the core's mind, then I think the exercise and uh, having a reflecting, knowing, and practicing different exercise can only way to achieve how much you need to apply all these tools and without uh, failure. This is what I want to say.
0: I have so many people come to me when they start learning to meditate or be mindful or start any practices, even a meta-practice. Um, they they'll say, um, they all, there's somehow when you start introducing Buddhist concepts, even if you don't introduce them with Buddhist terms, right. They start thinking that there's a goal of enlightenment or something. Right. And they, and then they wake up every morning and there's, still the same old schmuck right and they and they, so they keep coming back to you and asking you I must be failing I'm failing I'm failing I'm failing um and you know it, that is that is hard, one of the hardest things to overcome I think as someone who's helping someone through this practice that you speak to that I think is, is so important because you have that reflection thing that you mentioned earlier is very important you can keep coming back to that is like it's it's a circle inside, not a circle outside. It's a circle inside. How am I doing in my responses to the world? How am I do? What am I? How did my thoughts just go today? What what did I? You know, we have a practice in um, Japanese Buddhism. Uh, it's a it's it's based on a I think a Merida psychology called Nikon. It's a gratitude practice. I don't know if you're aware of it. But it's 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 a it's a it's a really focused reflection on you know how did I help people today how did I hurt people today how did and you bring you bring that into your life and that's what you're I think what you're saying a little bit is, is that's how you measure your success is by without being judgmental on yourself because a lot of uh, I think uh, Western people are pretty critical. Of themselves, so I think that's that's an important. They're sort of walking that fine line, right? Mm-hmm. I think
2: that um, very traditional. This is very very traditional. Yes, I think the thing is that um, one of the themes that comes up early in the book is about celebration, because what we see, like a uh, person from an ancient culture, will go, "Gosh," after. Countless lifetimes of harming others. Today, I had a moment where I thought of someone else. (laughs) I had one today, I can, tomorrow. And whereas a modern person inevitably goes, oh, isn't it terrible? I just, no matter what I do, I can only have like a brief moment where I'm thinking of someone other than myself. And so you have to appreciate the fact you are making, even though you may think it's a small step, it's a step how wonderful it is, and to, by seeing how wonderful it is, and that you made one, certainly you could make two. This, this person wrote me the other day, because there's this exercise called creating space in the book, I think you must have read, where they, they said, well, I can only create space for about three seconds, and then <laughs> I can it. Well, of course, right, that's normal. So I, so I wrote back, isn't that great, three seconds, then you can do another three, right? And they wrote back and they said, oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 and so you see, the, the thing is that we, we go so quickly into judging ourselves. And that, <clears throat> right. the quality of experience is the basis of all our trouble. And so what Rinpoche often says is when you do it, do it with your whole heart. It means don't evaluate, do it. Later you can reflect and see, is there something a different way I should approach it? How could I... While you're doing it, you just do it as authentically as possible.
0: Yeah, that, that is that is so good. I mean, it's even when someone starts with meditation, it's the same thing. I can't meditate. Oh, my goodness, how many times do people come to me? I can't meditate. And I'll say, why? Because I can't stop my thoughts. And I'll say, well, whoever told you you needed to do that, that's what your thoughts do, right? You can't, they're not supposed to stop them. That, that leads me to another kind of area I wanted to get into that's, I think it's only it's in part three mostly, but I think you introduce it in the in part one a little bit. It's 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 the awareness factor. Um, and I I I detected a little uh, traditional um, dochan or mahamudra coming in there. I don't know, but I know you don't you don't talk about um, you don't talk about Tonglin as Tonglin and you don't talk about a lot of things as those. But I see the traditional roots coming through in these nice practices that have no stigma of that stuff that would confuse people. But what I liked is how you introduced awareness um, and how you introduced meditating without an object and catching that moment of awareness between thoughts and that just catching that brief moment, whether, whether it's, you know, 10 seconds or whatever is a very you made it a celebratory thing and that, that I hope people feel that because I think that's something that's a little bit missing in more, most of the traditional presentations and teachings and books out there. Do you have any comments on that?
2: Well, first, well, like, <clears throat> I mean, um, of course, everything has, the whole book has the flavor of what we received from our teachers. Right. Not, so. And it's important to say that, but we did play with language a little bit and um, play with how to present it to make it accessible for this, for the, as I've said, for modern life. At the same time, you know, well, people often think that the important thing about meditation, t- typically it's like the most common one is you feel your breath going in, going out, you bring your attention, you rest on your breath. And that's, it's meditation when I'm doing that and it's when I'm not. But actually that moment of noticing we've become distracted. Right. The most interesting and special magical moment of the whole experience. Because at, at first, of course, we notice we're distracted. And we think, oh shoot, I'm distracted. <laughs> right? And we maybe even have some more thoughts about it. But gradually we learn to just, okay, we were distracted. We bring our attention back to our breath. And then gradually, we notice that we are aware that we're distracted, whether or not we have a thought. We don't need the thought to know we're distracted. We just know we're distracted. And you can say that's the first glimpse we have of, our, of being a lion, of turning our attention all the way to where, the not, not the thoughts and emotions, but who has them. Uh-huh. and so that's um yeah that's the uh, important uh theme of the whole book and and, and we end there and at the very end of the book on on the awareness itself of knowing quality. Of life.
1: And the being aware i <clears throat> think is uh we're not actually going into too much of Dzogchen or Mahamudra's um things. what we try to actually say that um the When you are aware that comes in your mind, thought, and uh, without judging it, without comparing it, without clinging that part, that thought, thought naturally has the space. Then with just being and maintaining, you actually see naturally, uh, how you say, um, be the presence in that moment. And you are actually free from everything without trying it, to be free. Mm-hmm. So now that is the really essence of the beginning of the, the essence of the what is the true wisdom that uh, taught to us, what our uh, first teacher 2,600 years ago. Of course, I don't know the in that, Listeners, I think it's not interesting, but I just want to say the first chapter or the second chapter, 8,000 words, Paramita Sutra says that <clears throat> mind is not truly really established, but mind is actually luminosity. And that is the word uh, that I want to use. And the present moment, um, that awareness actually we try to introduce you that the quality of the mind that is already innate, with us, every single thought arises. And that is actually the one way to cultivating dignity or a way to see that you have that already. You just need to be recognized or need to be trained or to see it.
0: That's excellent. And you tie that into the dignity part too, which is, yeah, that's a word I've never seen in any Buddhist book. <laughs> or any book on meditation dignity and it's great because I was taught by my teachers that there, there's that sense of confidence that you have to have yes. it's's yes. It, uh, that, very it's so important to have that confidence because that confidence is like the antidote to all that judging and yes clinging and right <laughs> and and but I've never seen a meditation book a beginning Buddhism book ever introduce that neat concept of dignity that when you when you take teachings with teachers especially I think from the Tibetan tradition more than other traditions that's that's a very strong um, strong teaching you get Uh, and sometimes it's just a feeling I think that I don't know I I I always perceived it as a feeling that I got from the teacher that feeling of confidence um, uh, that they sort of Uh, I don't mean it magically mystically, but there was a feeling of confidence that they imbued in you by yeah, Yes. If you, if you practice this one practice, you're practicing all practices. And if it feels good, you're doing, you know, it's, it's all right. It's okay. Whereas I think our Western mind is constantly saying I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. Right. So, so that's, I just loved that. And I think your practices, um, uh, I hope everybody gets that when they, they, they try the practices because I think they will if they, like you said, if they even do a practice, you'll get something from it from the minute you do it, especially that creating space, which before we finish today, I don't want to forget that you, you do have that as a guided meditation on your website or someplace, right?
2: If you go to either SoundCloud and look up Radically Happy or uh-huh. radicallyhappy.org, and look at, uh, there's a blog post on creating space. Okay. I did meditation. Where you can just sit, and relax, and just listen, and, and I'll lead you through the entire practice.
0: That's great, because um, yeah, I'll pro- I will probably post all these links on my uh, podcast website, so. In addition to the link to the book, of course, that goes without saying, but um, I will post those links because I think that that there's some people are still into that guided meditation. They need that to start. Um, So I think that's very good. We found that when we actually lead Creating Space Exercise, that
2: almost the entire room, it's so magical to It's fun to watch because everybody comes in and they're all stiff and going on this book tour and people coming from work. So right. have all that day with them and we do creating space sometimes at the very beginning. And you can see at the end of just three or four minutes, everybody's body language is different. So I think if people are having trouble from the book, if they, um, they go to our website or to the SoundCloud channel then they'll find something. And uh, I'm pretty sure they'll taste this feeling of spaciousness the very first
0: yeah, I think there is a difference to it, but then reading words and then trying to hear them back to yourself and trying and again, I think it again, it comes back to this grasping of I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing it right. Of course, I'm not doing it right. So then the other thing I wanted to talk about is um, quickly and uh, you know, some, some of the, you just have so much in this. This could be a textbook. I, um, is it going to be a textbook of some sort for some place? Um, Well, we've been
2: exploring with a few professors and educators uh, um, how to do that. We have a few uh, people that are interested in working with us that way, But it's kind of early to say. uh, It's our hope. We We wrote the book partly with that in mind.
0: Yeah, it feels it. I mean, from the minute I opened it up, it felt like a textbook. And then now I'm using it. In my daily practice, and referring to it as a textbook, and I keep thinking, well, if this could—if this could be kind of altered, it could be a great textbook for students and children, you know, because uh, some of these practices are e- would be easy for children to engage in. I believe, you know. Um, so, I mean, I'm—I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I just wanted to share that observation
2: that it's text-like. <laughs> Yeah, I like user guide because technical books <laughs> are kind of dry. Yeah. I think that one thing I can say about this book is it's not dry. Either.
0: No, it's not dry. Just the look of it. It's just so cheerful and joyous by the, 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 the graphics and the art within it. Um, now, the daily plans. And one question I had, I'm, kind of, I'm thinking about how my listeners would deal with these daily plans. Um, and I know you talk about them, that you could pick one you know, and use that and then move to another. Um, but if you have, okay, you have daily plans for the radical happiness, you have daily plans for mastering the mind, you have daily plans for the uh, uh, heart and mastering dignity. And then I think at the end, you have the, like a, a combination one, is that, do you? I'm not sure, do you?
2: You can say that the daily plan for radically is the combination bringing everything
0: together. How would you recommend, um, the one thing I could hear people saying, in listening to my listeners, is I don't know where to start, because they're trying to do too much like Rinpoche was talking about. They're trying to just read the whole book, and if I don't get it in a heartbeat, I'm going to... Should they stick with... um, they, should they stick with mastering the mind for for a very long time, like three months? Or should they, should they, do you know what I'm saying? This is These are the kind of questions people ask you.
2: I understand. I think everybody's different. And the way we wrote the book a little bit, you could skip around if, if you want. I think it's good to read the first part before the three kinds of happiness, just to get basic logic. And then I think that, you know, my advice is always start a little bit small. Don't try to, you know, we always get something new. We get excited and it's, we, we, we try to do so much. And then slowly, slowly, we, instead of building success, we, we say, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then it's 35 and then it's 30 and it's 15. And then it's, you know, almost none. So instead we talk about how to build up gradually, how to just do what you can do and then add to it. So even starting with two or three minutes a day, but doing it every day is better than doing 40 minutes when you have time and never doing it the rest of the time. So I I think that that people should just play with the book and see how it works for them. But of course, for most people, they probably find it helpful to start with uh, basic happiness and and then interconnected happiness. But I could see some people might go the other way.
0: Well, I think it would be I think it would be beneficial if they got a taste of all of it, even though the introduction gives all of it. I because because to me the uh, the second part, the mastering the heart and interconnected happiness, is so strong and so important and so somewhat missing in the typical teachings right now. I think that if people played with those exercises a little bit, um, it might teach them how to feel it meditate from the heart, you know, creating spaciousness in a way that they may never have done before. Um, so I think they should probably play with all of it, but I just wanted to know what you thought, you know, cause I know if, if I start recommending this book and talking about it on my podcast, I'm going to get barraged with, you know, how do I do this kind of question. So, and I plan on introducing it. I told uh, on one of my podcast uh, Facebook sites, I said, this book is so perfect for our our listeners that I'm thinking about making it required reading for this Facebook group. So (laughs) we may try that. i tell you what I'll offer to your Facebook group. If people have questions,
2: you just ping me. I'll come on and I'll try my best to answer something so that if your listeners like the book, then um, I'd like to uh,
0: help them. Awesome. That, that would be good because uh, I, I was thinking of maybe doing a whole book study around it and starting a little meeting group because um, it's, so, it's so much speaking to, to the audience that we have there. Um, the other thing I wanted you guys to talk about is because this is not something I've ever heard before except in maybe some other teachings I've taken with my teachers is the kindness of things. I love that.
1: I like to, I like to cherish my life and see how grateful and, and fortunate that I am. But uh, what I feel is we're really missing out is how many things that we have in home, like cups, waters, and things. You know, right now I'm in New York City, and uh, ten years ago I met a person with in the, one of the lunch. Uh, we had organized by one of my friends. He was uh, the, uh, working for the New York water source, uh, water resource from Cats, Catsville Mountain, somewhere 100, 200 miles away or out of somewhere very far away. And they bring all that Catskill Mountain water bring to New York City. And he explained how important, how good quality water in, in New York City are. Right now, the 10 years after I remember that, and morning I wash my face and things. I think I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful for the water. And I'm so um, you know, happy to actually to have that water. So for me, it's not only just thinking of kindness of the person who I love me and who cares me, if I like to think of kindness of earth, kindness of the building, the, the wind, the cloud, Everything so I feel everything is very beautiful and alive and bless actually. Everything is actually blessing you without knowing it. Mm-hmm. That is actually a way to cherish my life holistic way and a more alive way and not just seeing I need anything, I need just a person to love me. I need, I, I need to have some. I'm lucky. I, I, everything is actually fine, you know. You have a uh, some of some person have a quite a smelly, dirty couch but that is very thankful you know you can actually sit on that <laughs> homeless have a blanket is you know having it, such a beautiful one blanket and i see one in new york a homeless with a beautiful dog and the dog is really uh, gently and humbly uh, putting the his face and head on the his knee and looking at the owner and owner is sleeping on down then i went to give two dollars to the owner, and owner's very happy, and dog slowly looking at me, and I thought dog would bite me, because it kind <laughs> of, but the whole thing that human nature, I feel that we are neglected. We're always drawn into feelings, but we never cherish of kindness of things and around us, and the bigger world, and individuals. This, I think, is for me, is very, very important. And right now, I'm talking with you, I can actually feel my life actually changing. Just telling you, and it reminds me about things that I have right now in front of
0: That's so true, and it, and it's that it's that reflective gratitude, like I was talking about that Nikon practice. I think it's so important. We don't do that in this culture hardly. I think we have a practice that's kind of based on. Um, I think oh yeah, you talk about this. Eric, in your book, about kvetching. So it's like, it's like I think our culture is built on what we can complain about every day. Well, that the heat isn't working quite right, and why do we keep losing power when there's a windstorm, and why does this happen, why does that happen, instead of like, like Rinpoche, like you say, you know, in the book, I think you say, you know, the kindness of the flower, the kindness, you know, there, it's all around us, but, and you can feel it, if you take a little time, yes. yeah, and just let it sink in.
2: It is. I mean, we've all suffered trauma. Some people much more than others. But one way to begin to heal ourselves is to see how much we are product of love. Even no matter how bad our childhood was, somehow, first, we were born. <laughs>
0: yes.
2: People that came before us, how the, how they had to be caring for them in order for you know for our ancestors for us to even be born. Then we made it to adulthood, no matter what we went. And the more we can feel the kindness of things and see there was even in our trauma some kindness, some some love produced it all. The better we'll be able to heal ourselves to become uh, wholly integrated. In, in with ourselves, but also with the rest of our phenomenological universe.
0: Absolutely, I think it's a, and I think it's a great way to stop for this uh, session, because I know you can have another engagement you have to get to. Um, is there anything you can say to my audience, one thing, one word of wisdom, whatever, you want to leave us with?
1: Uh, I'm uh, going to be um, um, very um, straightforward, message to all, all of the people who listening that whatever you do try to do from your heart that that's going to be difficult in the beginning take sometimes longer sometimes shorter but when the heart begins open the feeling of openness and everything becomes a, you see and you feel and you are a different person and you are in a different world, and you can see things differently. That is what I want to say. And you can buy the book, it's very good. But <laughs> that the same room that I'm here, going to the books two years ago, and uh, and uh, what I'm repeating in my mouth is actually wishing everybody happy and cause of happiness, and I wish everybody beautiful suffering and cause of suffering. And that is the I repeating in when I'm listening the book for seven days, from morning, 10 o'clock, evening, five to six o'clock every day, to seven days in New York City, and, you know. So I think it's the right place in New York City in the right <laughs> book, <and> right? <laughs> uh, this is what I really, uh, what I did for is this. And I think I hope the people who read this, I hope that uh, some changes in life, you know, Thank you very much for my side.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. Thanks again and with deep bows to both Rinpoche and Eric for this wonderful conversation. I hope it inspired you as much as it did me. I also hope you will pick up a copy of the book Radically Happy, A User's Guide to the Mind. In the spirit of our everyday practical approach to Buddhist teachings on this podcast, This book could truly be our handbook. I have read it, and I am rereading it, and I'm using the exercises in my daily practice. I can promise it will help you discover and connect with basic happiness, interconnected happiness, and radical happiness. And of course, you will find links to the book and their website with blogs and the guided meditation mentioned in the podcast on my website. As their book dedication reads, quote, This book is dedicated to the contentment and well-being of everybody everywhere. I, too, dedicate this podcast episode to the contentment and well-being of everybody everywhere. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining me. And thanks to everyone who listens to this podcast, comments on my website or the new public Facebook group, and donates to help me keep the content written, fresh, produced, and distributed. If I haven't replied to your messages yet, I will. I always try to reach out with a private email of thanks, but be patient because I'm happy to say that the numbers are growing. And as always, if you like this podcast please consider supporting my work through a recurring or one-time donation on my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward everydaybuddhism or through the donate page on my website everyday-buddhism.com Until next time, Keep making your everydays better.